Well then, if I give you a challenge, and I said, okay, um, you are allowed to do this, you have to go on to, in your next trip to the supermarket, you need to pick a person and make conversation with them, meaningful conversation, complete stranger, for two minutes. Can you just write down on your whiteboard, one word, how do you feel? Okay, just take a minute to do that. Complete stranger, two minutes, meaningful conversation, take him to Jesus, how does that make you feel? <laughs> what have we got? Ooh, is that upside down? Ooh, yes, that would make you feel weird, and perhaps a little bit wobbly <laughs> inside, actually. Uh, yes, some of us are like, yes, that's great. Okay, anything else? Okay, okay, that's some of us. Uh, a bit anxious, actually. Um, a little bit nervous, and did I say help? Happy, that'll make you very happy. Yeah, that's very different to help, absolutely. Um, uncomfortable, uncomfortable, actually, and wouldn't know what to say. Yeah, I think we have the whole, I think, spectrum of emotions here, actually, with that this evening. And, I mean, if I asked you again, how was it afterwards, again, a different, you know, number of emotions would be uh, said tonight. Now, some of the words that I think I sometimes associate with the idea of telling other people about Jesus, even though I'm kind of paid to do this, is guilt, hard work, exciting, impossible. Um, not for me because I'm not gifted. Sometimes I feel like that. Um, but tonight I hope that we start a series that excites you when the thought goes through your mind of sharing Jesus, talking about Jesus, introducing other people to him. Because I think that one of the reasons why we struggle with it is because we have a lack of confidence in him and therefore in ourselves. And so Obviously, not all of us are called to talk to complete strangers. Sometimes God doesn't give us that opportunity anyway. But all of us do have friends, neighbors, um, family members who don't believe as we do. And I hope that you are encouraged as we talk about things that will increase our confidence as believers to share our faith. So four, four things then. Let's see if we can do them and how long it will take us. One is no what you believe, and why you believe it. Number two, oh, I didn't put them all together. Never mind. Okay, you, you write it down and they'll come up um, later on. Understand what we believe and why we believe it. Enjoy Christ. Enjoy God. Number three, believe in God's Holy Spirit, and what he does, his role. And number four, know who you're talking to. So first, then, understand what we believe and why we believe it. How confident would you be if I said, okay, tell us all what the Trinity is? Just a couple sentences, okay? Um, one to ten, I wonder. If someone asked you, how do you know God exists? How can you know that for sure? Or, how do you know the Bible hasn't been changed? That's another interesting question. We'll talk about that. Uh, not tonight, not all of these. Uh, how does being a Christian change you in a way that other religions wouldn't? It's another one. Um, or if this one uh, that normally comes in the form of a statement, you're in a conversation and someone says, well, all religions are just wishful thinking out there, really. Or they just say, all religions are the same. It's not even a question. 
and he feels really pushy to even mention anything. Um, now, these and other questions hopefully we'll get to talk about in the next coming weeks. But the first point I think that I want us to think about and to get is these questions can seem very intimidating and difficult. But actually, if we do what the Lord Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, loving God like this, this increases our confidence. Let's read that verse together, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with your brain, with, the, with your ability to think, to reason, to be rational. And often the problem, I think, that we have as Christians is that we don't, we're, all, we're ashamed to use our brains somehow, or at least that's how people perceive us in the way that we love God. It's easier to think of our brain as a tool that you use for school, or if you're at university, you know, you've got to memorize stuff, you need to learn stuff. But tell me what happens if I said, right, right, from next week on, church will be sending you homework for you to send in uh, with your answers next week. How would that make you feel? Anybody be excited about that? Andy's watching, because then he's going to put that in the sermon next week. Yes, some of us, yes. In the same family, you have a no and a yes, I'm excited. I love that. That's fantastic. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that preachers now need to send you coursework for the week ahead, but I think the reason why we might have a negative knee-jerk reaction to that is because we underestimate the commitment we should have in being Christians, in, getting, in investing in knowing what we believe and why we believe it, in knowing God and loving God with our minds. It's a danger for us to, to not do that, to not be excited about it. It's a danger for you if I do that, because then I just teach you the easy stuff, or I just repeat, you know, little microwavable sentences that are ready-made. But loving God with our minds is going to lead us to search for the answers to our questions, to come upon questions we're not even asking, because you're just excited and thirsty for more of God, and you'll find out that there are questions you should be asking as you read the Scriptures. And then you'll find out that it should be the most natural thing for us as Christians to desire more of God. When Paul speaks about this, um, about our growing desire to be equipped and to know God, here's what he says in 2 Timothy 2.15. If that's too small, I'll read it for you anyway. Do your best, Paul says, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and one who correctly handles the word of truth. So you're excited about the Bible, and you're excited about understanding how to interpret it and how to explain it. Paul says this, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He then explains a little bit what he means by knowing Christ when he says that it's about knowing his power, the power of his resurrection in his new life, um, and uh, to suffer alongside him and get to know God better in his experience of God. But all that stuff only happens. You only experience God and know his love if first you have learned something of him with your mind and that's been transformed uh, into the way that you live. So it should be natural for us as Christians to love God with our minds by engaging with the scriptures and in a sense we're called to do that. Remember that last year we talked about Acts 17 and we talked about when, uh, how when Paul visited Athens, um, he showed that he was even able to quote what other people who are not believers think 
in his understanding. He was reading wildly, widely, which is something that we are called to do. And so my challenge for you is for you to think, am I investing in knowing what I believe as a Christian, what I should believe? Um, when I hear the word Trinity, do I think about all of the things that I'm not sure about and then go ahead to uh, find out, read, ask questions of the church leadership and others? Because you see, if you want to, for example, follow a theme throughout the scriptures, there's actually a field of study called that. You don't know that that's what you're doing, but you're doing biblical theology. Um, if, you, if you ask the question, you know what, I want to see what the Bible says about sex and sexuality. You might not realize it, but you're investing in our faith, in your faith, by doing systematic theology. When you get all the verses in, uh, in one, of one topic, put them on the table, and let the picture emerge. It's a very exciting thing to do. Hope we can do some of that as well. When you ask, for example, how have Christians interpreted this passage throughout the scriptures? Because it's really hard. Like 1 Timothy, where it says women should learn quietly and not say anything in church. You're like, how did people interpret this? Because people will uh, think of Christians as misogynistic. Well, you're doing historical theology when you do that. That's interesting. Big words. Um, when you ask the question, can I know that God exists? And how can I explain to someone who doesn't believe in the Bible? We'll talk about that too. Um, that's another field as well. And I think for many of you, you're probably thinking this right now. But I'm not smart. I'm not academic. Now, I don't think that you need to be um, academic to invest in knowing why uh, you believe, uh, what you believe and why you believe it. Because, you know, out of all the people in this room, I count myself amongst those who don't have a degree. Okay? So I've, I've had an inferiority complex for a long time about this. Like, oh, I don't have a degree. Andy has a degree. He's, he's getting another degree. Pff, I don't even have the first one. And you think, actually, that doesn't really matter for this. Because the gospel and the fundamentals of our faith are able to be understood by a child and explained by a child. But what matters the most is this, your heart. Do you have a desire to know what you believe? That's enough. God will provide plenty of opportunity for you to learn what you need to learn. That makes me uh, think about that moment in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets this foreign woman. And you know, she's ashamed even to talk to him. But after she has the gospel explained by Jesus and she believes, what I always find amazing is that she goes without any training. She does not have a degree in evangelism or in talking about Jesus or in you know, whatever else you can think of. And she tells everyone in her little village about Jesus. And the most surprising thing is, it works. I mean... In John 4, 39, it says many of the Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. And she said, he told me everything I've ever done. This is an awesome prophet. Let me tell you what he said. And people believed. And so if you're frightened because you're putting too much perhaps on your shoulders, that you feel that you need to have the right words, otherwise someone will never understand the gospel. We'll wait until point number three. Um, but many of us are Okay, comfortable reading books. Some of us are not. Some of us might find it easier to just find a really good podcast that explains the book that you find it really hard to read. If you want recommendations, uh, ask me, ask Andy. We're more than glad uh, to tell you what we might recommend. But the big idea is the calling that God has for you as a Christian to love him with your mind 
is a calling for you to not be ashamed to invest intellectually as you read um, so that you can grow in your faith and therefore grow in the way that you explain it. Because when you're confident in what you know, you can, when you get nervous, you can take a deep breath. When the question is asked or you're in a tough spot, and at least you've got something, okay? And uh, I remember the story about the preacher who um, had his sermon ready, and then at one point he put, argument weak, shout louder. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Um, that's a, like a classic thing to say. We would feel that as Christians if we don't know what we believe. And we feel like we just sort of need to be argumentative or be very defensive when someone accuses us of something. Whereas if you are confident in what you believe and why you believe it, it's a lot easier to, if you need to, give a defense for what you believe or give an argument without being argumentative or defensive. So just to uh, summarize, what we want to do in this series, because this is a bit of an introductory section, over the next few weeks is we want to help you enjoy God as you learn, we want to increase your confidence so that, just like in Psalm 72, remember, where the psalmist is really jealous as he looks at the lives uh, of those who don't believe, until halfway through the psalm, he says, do you know what? What I believe is so much better. God is so much more satisfying. And I hope that as we talk about these things, you will get that too, and to equip you to talk about him, to introduce others to him. Let me just give you a few scriptures, if you are a note-taker tonight, um, about why there's no excuse for a thoughtless Christian to exist. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Demolish arguments. Wow, that's strong language. Titus 1, 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. You know well enough that you can show why people have gone wrong. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And finally, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, showing that it's not just about some sort of head knowledge and beating people over the head with an argument. Because we loved you so much, Paul says, that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So, the first challenge is for us to think, do you know what you believe? And do you know why you believe it? But here's another one. Enjoy Christ. Now, I know that in this country, the number one pastime in a pub is... Anybody? It's what you do together in a pub. Every pub advertises this. The quiz night. The quiz night. Okay, am I wrong in this? Because every pub I see is like, come and do our quiz night, there's a prize. Now imagine this. It's quiz night. It's uh, post-coronavirus. You know, you're there with your team, it's fantastic. But, okay, the prize is good, by the way. You get to choose what topic you want to do. Okay, you're helping to write the quiz, and you're going to say, okay, I want one round on this. Can you just write on your mini whiteboards? What is the topic that you would be most confident, um, you know, answering questions about in a pub quiz? You're going to win it if they put this in. Yes, okay, we've got Harry Potter. 
Harry Potter there as well. Lots of Harry Potter here tonight. Okay, football. Yes. Okay, animals. Marvel. Fantastic. God. Wow, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. History. Yeah, absolutely. What else we got there? Ooh, what's that at the back? Lewis, what's yours? Technology and the Bible. Ah, oh, excellent. That's pretty good. That's something good to be called. 70s music. Okay, look at that. I can't boast in those 70s music that well. Now, I suspect that the reason why you'd be comfortable with all of those different topics, and I, mean, I, I could put anime in there because I feel like I know a lot about anime. And so if you're like, he mentions this like every time. It's because I want you to know about it. Anyway, although be discerning. Um, one of the reasons that you are confident in those is you delight in finding out more about them. I mean, there are some of us here tonight who delight just reading history. Think about that for a minute. That's lovely. That's fantastic. Okay? Some of you are like, some of you said Marvel, Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I could be confident, perhaps, in tell you, telling you lots of things about my wife. I love her to bits. I like to think that I'm more of an expert on her than uh, anyone else. You know, from her favorite color to what she likes to do in her spare time, how she likes to unwind, and so on. Her knowledge of literature and what it extends to. I think that what I'm getting at really is, if you enjoy Christ, if you enjoy your relationship with him, you enjoy experiencing him with the Bible open, uh, with worship being sung, talking and sharing with him with your family and with others, with your partner, with a friend, it becomes a lot more natural of a foundation for you to speak from. Because otherwise, someone could simply say, you're just nice. And any religion could make you nice. What's the difference? Show me in your enjoyment of God. Listen to this, Psalm 34, 8. When you speak from experience about Christ, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Imagine inviting someone and saying, I, I know this God so well. His love, his embrace, his comfort, his forgiveness, his hope beyond death. That I want to tell you. I mean, people can tell when your face lights up like that. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. All of the knowledge in point number one, what you believe, why you believe it, prayed through, delighted in, translates into a closeness with God. And prevents us from just becoming people who sort of vomit the stuff that we understand, you know, about our faith. We become more um, winsome, I guess. I remember um, someone who first tried to tell me about Jesus, and I was maybe 14, something like that. And I, I just admire his perseverance, because he was out sharing the gospel on the streets, and, and he bumped into me, and his name was Kyle, I think, and he said... Can I just tell you about the four spiritual laws? Does anybody know that little leaflet from Campus Crusade for Christ? Um, and he went through it with me. And then he said, would you like Jesus to take the center of your life to be on the throne, for you to be on the throne? And I said, well, I'm not sort of a religious person, but I think if I were to be, I probably would go to the church of Satan because there are all sorts of crazy like sexual rituals in that. And so if I were to go to anything, I would go to that. This is probably what he looked like at the time, you know, but he was so joyful 
in telling me about Jesus, you know, not sort of just in an extroverted personality, just his persistence in saying, no, but this is really, this really is the best. That I continued listening to what he had to say. And we want to be like that. So as you invest in finding out your faith, and finding out what you believe and why you believe it, let it be transformed as you pray through it and enjoy God through it. Now here's the next um, point. Not only do you want to know what, what you believe and why you believe it, you want to enjoy Christ, you want to believe in God's Spirit, the work that He does. Now let me tell you why I think this gives us, gives us a lot of peace of mind as Christians. Uh, here's the number one topic in my household. What the government expects of my wife as a teacher. That's the number one, okay? Some, some of you who are teachers, <laughs> you're talking a lot about... Some of you who have NHS workers in your household, okay? I mean, what, I guess whatever. If you're in full-time work at the moment, you're talking about this. And I find that it's almost as if our government has this perspective of educators, okay? Regardless of the parent's background, regardless of whether the child's had a good night's sleep, there is a formula that if a teacher does, says, prepares in ways X, Y, Z, the child will learn. It will happen. Okay? If the child did not learn, irrespective of whether they had a good night's sleep or had their breakfast or whatever, it's the teacher's fault. Okay? And the regulatory bodies will let you know. I mean, some of you have been teachers. Is that, is that fairly accurate? Okay? Some of you are <laughs> nodding your heads. Uh, many, many tearful nights. How many times did we have the conversation about how Baby, it's not your responsibility to be a teacher plus um, counselor plus social worker plus IT consultant trying to sort out parents' tablets at home and stuff plus psychologist, etc., etc. It's not your responsibility. You might think if you're not a teacher, of course, who would think that? But do you and I as Christians sometimes think, well, it's my responsibility to convert someone if that person did not become a Christian, it's because I put the comma in the wrong part of the sentence. If only I had paused here and given that argument, they would have gone, yeah, this makes sense. Sign me up. It sounds foolish when you say it out loud, doesn't it? But sometimes we forget that this is God the Holy Spirit's role, as Jesus says in John, oh, I didn't put that on there. John 16, 8, Jesus says this, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me, Jesus says. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So his role is really to persuade, to convict. What we do is we try and tell people. And God the Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And you're thinking, that resonates with some conversations I've had about my faith. And cannot understand these things because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So if you've had the thought, if only I'd said the right words, they would have understood my faith. You have forgotten that like Romans chapter 1 says, uh, and you can have a look at this later on because time runs out, uh, chap Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 20, 
the whole world is already without excuse because they have plenty of witness to find out about God even before you prayed for those in your life who don't know Jesus. Let that comfort you and actually embolden you because if that's true, then the flip side, no effort, no conversation, no prayer is wasted when you try and reach out to someone else. That enables us to fear God more than man. It enables us to engage with our faith as part of our growth and to take bold steps when we seize opportunities. But here's the last one. Not only do we want to know what we believe, why we believe it, we want to enjoy Christ, um, we want to believe in God the Holy Spirit's work, but you want to know who you're talking to. Now, depending on your age, this may or may not be funny to you. Have a look at this meme. Here's what it reads. Seven-year-old kids uh, today, you know, it's all about iPhones and tablets. Here's me when I was seven. I did this. Did you do this when you were a child? She's just speaking to the fan. Yeah, some of you who are Generation Z, actually, or also known as digital natives, you also did this. Not only did I do that, I go into the kitchen, get a, a pan lid, okay, sit on my chair, hold it, and then speak into the mic and pretend I was on the bus giving announcements. Okay, I just, this is my childhood. I loved it. How about this one? On the left, you have 2018. Hey, son, I found a picture of your grandpa. There's grandpa, you know, like... World War, you know, legend. And then 2060, hey son, I found a picture of your grandpa. And this, this is the best that we can muster up. How about this one? On the top, you've got, you know, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, how I imagine my future to be. He's got a job, he's getting married, okay, he's buff because he's exercising, he's sunbathing with a friend because he has time to spend with friends. How it actually turned out is what's at the bottom there. He can't sleep. He's exhausted all the time. Statistically, that's the, the most likely thing for a Generation Z person to say, I'm tired, okay? Um, he's uh, sleepless nights. <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, I've already said this this week. Um, sleepless nights. And he's holding three little um, faces drawn on his friends. And it says, the gang's all here. I'm hanging out with my mates because this generation doesn't hang out um, as much as we did when we were young. Now, did you notice? Some of you laughed at different things. For some of you who are, you know, millennials like me, or Generation Z, or boomers, you know, in the building, or perhaps even older, we don't have the classic generation here, but when we are talking to each other, we assume different things. We get excited about different things. Even some of the memes that some of our teenagers laugh about, if I showed you, you'd go, what's Fortnite? You know? Or I don't know, whatever else. There are even certain expressions that we only use with certain generations. Just raise your hand if you're a teenager or a child here and you ever say this. You've been keeping well. Have you been keeping well? Anybody, anybody say that? No? Does anybody who is older here Say that. We keep it well, yeah? I say that with anyone that I'm talking with who is over 80 normally. Um, I'll say that. So I, do, I do apologize if that's you. This is just my being a foreigner in this country and what I learn, okay? There we go. Here's another one that you say. Any teenagers here tonight say, are you on email? No, because it's a, you assume different things 
Of course they are, if they are, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 18, whatever. Um, but do you know that if you are this generation called Generation Z here, uh, just at university at the moment and younger, here are some things that are true of you, that because they are true of you, statistically, they change the way that you try and talk about Christ. You reach your life milestones more slowly. You get a job later in life than previous generations. You get married, if you do get married, later in life. You have children, if you do have children, later in life. You are online more than any other generation, five and a half hours on average on your smartphone a day. It's true of me, actually. Um, some of us who are older here, you actually know how to make friends in a public setting. You're in a room with people that you don't know. You know how to walk up to them and talk to them. Statistically, most of you young people, that makes you deeply uncomfortable. You're like, I do not know where to begin with this, okay? That changes how you talk about Christ. Because maybe you are more reachable online. Perhaps some of the really good conversations that you might have with your friends will happen online, or at least will be started there, and moved on somewhere else. Apparently, you are more insecure than any other generation ever um, recorded. Thus, our mental health crisis at the moment. But it does mean that you are more sensitive and honest about lots of other things. You are more afraid, perhaps, of offending someone um, than any other generation. But you're also more open to talking about uh, issues of the heart. So just a few things, and as we finish, a few questions based on this being true that I want to ask you, particularly for a young person here tonight as well. Here's the first question. I want to ask you this. Are you sure you want to lead with that? There are lots of topics that are hard about our faith. Okay? Homosexuality is one of them. Sexuality in general, transgender issues. Maybe... You don't want to start a conversation with those. And if that is started, perhaps you want to say, do you know what? Can I, can I tell you about Jesus first? I just want to know what you think about him. Let me take you to him first, and I just want to get your opinion. Because there is a genuine fear that before you say a word, you will be called racist, homophobic, transphobic, before you've even had a chance. So sometimes, without being dishonest, it's good to say, can we start with Jesus? Are you sure you want to lead with that? Is social media the best opportunity? It might be. Some of you might have a really good, meaningful conversation that starts at 8 o'clock at night. Or at 10 o'clock at night. Might be. Or it might be that the conversation can turn to really unhelpful at that time. And you want to say, do you know what? That's a really good question. That's a really good comment. Can I chat to you when I see you in school again instead? Here's another question. Is showing love the best doorway to showing Christ's love? Now, in my generation, a lot easier for my friends to say, I've got this question. And I'd be like, I've got this answer. And we'd have a conversation about that. Your generation, not, not so much if you're a teenager or if you're at university or if you're a child right now. Instead, it's about a lot more about your whole life, your friendship, and out of that, you have opportunities to speak. As someone else has said in a different book, um, you begin to show that your faith is beautiful because your friends know you, they know how you treat them, they know how you love them. It's livable because they see that you actually do what you say you'll do as a Christian. 
And therefore, it becomes very believable, very true. Here's just another one, which is a statement. Your friendship is better than our building. Those of us who are my age and older, very, very normal, natural for us to say, hey, we're putting on this event. Do you want to come? How many of you would say here tonight your friends would be extremely comfortable coming into a church building? No, that's like, if you're watching from home, that's like no, nobody, right? Um, back in the day, that would have been a somewhat normal thing to do. Now, a church building is more threatening than ever, which is why your friendship is a better opportunity often to start the conversation than simply wait for the professionals to come and do an evangelistic event. It's not the thing as much anymore. Last one is a question better than a statement in this conversation. And we're going to have a whole evening on this, uh, so I'm not going to say too much about it now. But how would you feel if someone said this in a conversation? It doesn't make sense to believe in God. You feel like anything you say is going to be pushy, arrogant. What about this? It's wrong to force your views on other people. What about this? All Christians are homophobic. They've not asked your question. They've just said something. What do you do? Well, hopefully you'll salivate uh, for the answer in another week. But let's summarize what we've talked about tonight. A bit different to a sermon, more of a talk. Understand what we believe, why we believe it. We want to enjoy Jesus because we turn it into uh, uh, something we pray through. Number three, we believe. It's not, just your, it's not your responsibility to convert people. You trust in God and you know who you're talking to and some of the things that we've just said. Now I'm going to pray and then I want you to think, what is the one question you would really hate for people to ask you? And that will help inform me um, as we progress in the series. So let's pray now before we sing again. Just a moment for you to talk to God before I start praying. Dear Father, thank you that this is the complete opposite of a feeling of being guilt-tripped, that it's about being excited, about knowing you more, and enjoying you more, even before we think about introducing others to you. Father, help us, please, to be a people who enjoy you. And if we're struggling at the moment, if you feel like we're in a bit of a dry season, and we're just exhausted and tired, and our devotional life is um, in a bit of a shambles at the moment, can you please help us? We need you. We need you to just help us to focus um, on those verses on Titus this week as Andy's challenged us this morning. And just enjoy that. Five minutes, ten minutes, some time of praying with you and being honest with you. Excite us in our Christ-like desire to follow you. Give us opportunities, even this week, online, offline, however. In Jesus' name, amen.